Well, good evening, Bosch PM. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Garth. Like I always say, married to the amazing Samantha. We have a beautiful little daughter named uh, Katie. It is so good for us to be together again. I hope that you've been using these long weekends well. The Ulufia family has been manned down the last uh, couple of weeks. It just flew, not COVID, thankfully. But our little Katie Ulufia has been sick for the first time. So my heart has broken into a million little pieces. Every time she coughed, I wanted to buy her teddy bear, basically. That's how I was feeling. Um, But we've been celebrating good health this week. It's been great. It's been great to be back into the swing of things. And as Pilati read that text for us this evening, you would have noticed that it's exactly the same as last week. And that's because we're wrapping up our origin series, looking at evil in two parts. Last week ended a great job talking to us about the origin of death. And this week we're going to talk about evil and suffering, the origin of evil and suffering. And last week Ian spoke to us under the heading of what we would call natural evil, which mainly refers to decay and death and what we would experience in this world. Tonight I'm going to be focusing more on on moral evil, which is evil and suffering that comes from us as humans. If you think conflict, you think murder, think genocide, think uh, in our own country apartheid, even just gossip or slander. And I think it's no mystery that the world is corrupt and evil. It's no mystery that the world is corrupt and evil. Do you ever find yourself looking at the news or talking to friends and you think, what is going on? What is going on in the world? Just the other day, I was talking to Ian and I said to him, I said, you know there's a lot going on in the world when there's been two earthquakes off the coast of South Africa and no one's even spoken about it. It's like this earthquake happened the next day. People were feeling it in Cape Town. Everyone was like... Yeah, anyways, and carried on, because there's so much going on. There's so much going on in the world. And while I was even preparing this message, I took out News 24, I scrolled through, and within seconds, I was met with corruption, murder in, in, in so many different cases, a car being bombed, rape, people going missing. Evil and suffering is so Evident, it's everywhere. And when we look back in history, there's no clean record for humanity. There's just more evidence of evil and corruptness. You think of the history of slavery and oppression in the world. Think of how many wars have been fought or are currently ongoing, how many lives have been lost. Think about genocide. You think about the Holocaust, six million Jews being murdered. Or just the other day in history, 1994, the Rwandan genocide, 800,000 lives lost. And also when we look to the Bible, we look to the scriptures, we see that humanity still doesn't cut it. We see that there is a book filled with pages that prove that evil exists, that suffering is very much a part of the human conditioning. And we can track it back as we look through our pages And we go back, we come back to where it all started in Genesis chapter 3, what we read tonight, where we see Adam and Eve in the garden. God says to them, take care of the garden, enjoy the garden. Just one thing, don't eat of that tree, trust me, don't eat of that tree. And so enters the serpent, so enters Satan, and the mind game starts. The lies, the temptations start, and these famous words, did God really say? 
and they believe in the lie, they eat the fruit. And scripture says, from verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loincloths. And, and Ian spoke about this moment last week. He gave us this great analogy of the train on its way to Musenberg, this train on its rails in perfect design. And then humanity, Adam and Eve come in and cause the train to be catapulted off the rails. People, newspapers, takeaway cups going everywhere. The train corruptly outside its design. Evil enters the world. Adam and Eve's decision to disbelieve God and believe the sovereignty of self. Disbelieve God and believe the sovereignty of self. This incident we call the rebellion. The rebellion. But it's important for us to know that God, God is a holy, righteous, good God. He didn't create evil. God detests evil. He hates evil. But even though God didn't create or evil or suffering, we know that because he is sovereign, he allows evil and suffering to exist. Which means that Genesis 3 poses a tough question for all of us to answer. There's a tough question. And I fleshed this question a little bit out to help us answer it. But the question is, how can an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God allow evil and suffering in the world? How can an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God allow evil and suffering in the world? And the biggest thing I think I learned in prepping this message is when the preaching roster comes up, make sure to look at the topics before you put your name down. No, I'm joking. I've known about this for a while. I'm excited to preach it. But this is a hard question. This is a hard question. It's one of the toughest questions of the Christian faith. I think most Christians have wrestled with this. And it's a stumbling block for a lot of people who are looking into the claims of Christ and exploring Christianity. I know friends who've grappled with this, can't make sense of this. And the thinking often is, well, quite simply, if God is in control, that's what we mean by sovereign, if God is in control and he allows bad things to happen, then I don't want to serve that God. I think the problem is, or the problem that I find with this question, is that we sometimes make our conclusions about God as we consider the fullness of evil or our experience with evil, instead of rather making our conclusions about evil as we consider the full counsel and the nature of God. I think often that's where we can go wrong. And also this question is not just a theological question. It's a personal one. It is a personal one. And that's because all of us, have or will experience different degrees of evil and suffering in our lifetime. And although we might have some general answers to some of our questions today, I'm also aware that there might be some people dealing with some specific types of situations or suffering that might require maybe a few more specific answers, maybe even just some more processing. Move towards leaders if you do need more processing in this. And if you're listening today, if you are experiencing some suffering that's come from evil, I want you to know that God is not just a God of big theological words, but a loving God who desires relationship with you, that detests evil and suffering, that desires to walk closely with you in whatever you might be experiencing. My hope is that this evening that we all get an increased understanding of our sovereign, good, loving God in the midst of the evil and surrounding that surrounds us. That is my hope for this evening. Let's pray. 
Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this evening. I pray that you would shape our hearts. I pray that you would shape our view of you this evening. Lord, in a topic that could, is, is a lot more personal than it can be theological, I pray that you would meet with us. You would bring your presence with us this evening, Lord. We meet with you. We want to know more about you, Jesus. I pray tonight we get a glimpse of your goodness. We get a glimpse of your sovereign hand. And we know that you are a God that is with us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's look at our question. Firstly, I want to confirm some truths that this question rightly assumes. That this question rightly assumes. If our questions, firstly, this question rightly assumes that God is sovereign over all. It rightly assumes that God is sovereign over all. If our question says God is allowing or ordaining evil and suffering, it means that he must be ultimately sovereign over all things, good and evil. And this is correct. 1 Chronicles 29 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you uh, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Also, or Psalm 115, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is a sovereign God. He is in control of all. Also, this question rightly assumes that suffering exists. It rightly assumes that suffering exists, which means that evil is not just a relative subjective reality. It's not all in our heads, but that there are actually horrible things that are happening to people. There's very real suffering in the world. And if we look to Scripture, we can see terrible things that happen to people throughout the Bible. So these, these two truths are rightly assumed. Uh, a theologian, Andrew Wilson, he has some helpful questions to ask us ourselves to help respond to this, these, uh, this question that we're facing tonight. And I just want to reference three of them. Uh, the first one is, do we believe... Do we believe it is possible for humans to have the responsibility of free choice without there being evil and suffering in the world? It's a long sentence. I'm going to read it again. Do we believe it's possible for humans to have the responsibility of free choice without there being evil and suffering in the world? So just to explain this, within God's sovereignty, he gives us the responsibility of choice to choose good and evil. That's what we see in this text. With Adam and Eve, when they eat the fruit, they went from knowing um, only good to knowing good and evil. And they chose rather to follow the serpent out into independence from God than rather as God's image bearers living with him and for him. And so as humans, we're given the responsibility within God's sovereignty of free choice. And this also allows us to have a sincerity of, of heart and how we love God, how we love others. And how we steward these choices actually makes up a lot of who we are. But it's like, <laughs> the best analogy I could think of, it's like when, when my dear wife says to me, it's not that I want you to do the dishes, it's that I want you to want to do the dishes. And when she says that to me, she's saying, in other words, show me how you use your free choice to love me. She feels love when I make the choice to do the dishes, when she doesn't have to force me to do the dishes. But that freedom of choice, with that freedom of choice, I can also make bad decisions. I could say something that's hurtful. I could hurt her feelings. But can you see the link between good and evil and our responsibility 
of choice. It's hard to try to take away evil without removing our responsibility of choice. And if you had to take that away, you actually end up taking part of who we are and how we interact with each other and God away. Another question we need to ask is, have we ever caused pain or suffering to people? Have we ever caused pain and suffering to people? And that's what Genesis 3 is saying. I mean, we're asking God, why is there so much evil and suffering? And God says, let me ask you, why is there so much evil and suffering? Why are you allowing it or even causing it? And I like this question because it forces us to say how we define evil and how we see ourselves in that definition. And if we're honest, we've all caused some form of pain and suffering in someone else's life. Whether it be a harsh joke gone wrong, gossip, conflict, fighting, maybe something even more severe, we've all done it. But what do we really mean by evil when we're asking this question? Is evil maybe the thing that other people do or things that we might consider more severe? Because the problem with this is then where do we draw the line on evil? Because if we had to say, well, you know, in my mind, I just want serial killers and drug dealers and just kind of people who do bad things to me, I want them done away with. What actually we're saying is, is that we don't want all the evil to go, we just want some of the evil to go. And we're stuck unable to define the level at which God should intervene. And the Bible says that we've all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that without him, without Jesus, we have no hope in redeeming ourselves or attaining the righteousness required to be right with God. And I'm not saying that that all sin is the same or all evil is the same. No, there's greater or smaller levels of sin. But as far as qualifying with righteousness required to commune with God, to be right with God, we just don't cut it. We've fallen short. And God's righteousness is where he draws the line. And because of what's happened in Genesis 3, as humans, we all suffer with this this cosmic disease called sinfulness. And God does extend what we call uh, common grace, grace he has to all people. We can enjoy the sunshine, and we can see some good things happening. But in terms of God's righteousness, we don't cut it. We need more. But if we take an honest look at our lives, if we really audit ourselves, we can admit that we all suffer with a bit of the old sovereignty of self. I mean, that's why sometimes even if we have the best intentions, we can't control our emotions, our actions. We, we will struggle with addictions. We have relationships that fall out. We, we end up hurting people. It's why the, the most common phrase I hear from people, and I've said this in my life before, when they have really blown it and done something really, really bad, I often hear this, I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know how I got here. Or, oh, this isn't me. This isn't me. And I often think that that can start by convincing ourselves that we, we're not sinful or that sin doesn't exist. But Genesis 3 tells us that it's in all of us. We all fall short. Nobody cuts it. Which means to ask God to get rid of evil would actually be asking God to get rid of all of us. To get rid of all of us. The other question we've got to ask ourselves is why do we think that evil and suffering is a problem at all? 
Why do we think that evil and suffering is a problem at all? I mean, think about it. Evil and suffering, oh, sorry, suffering and the recognition of evil is only present because there must be a higher sense of morality, a higher form of law that allows our conscience to look at evil and suffering and say, that's not right. That's not right. And if our world is just made up of survival of the fittest and the strong and the smart live longer than the, the weak, that's just it, that's just the way the cogs work, then there's not really a good and evil in that. But if we're honest, can't really say that because there is this high authority, the sense of a high authority and design and designer, and our conscience knows this. Scripture says the law of the Lord is written on our hearts. When I see someone being ill-treated, it's not the code of conduct, it's not the law that makes me react towards this, but it's the greater higher sense of injustice that comes from within. And it is good when we see or experience or witness suffering and we think this is not how it's supposed to be because it's not meant to be like this and our souls recognize this. It's because of the high law, the high authority of God. And so these questions, they help us understand that when we look at Genesis 3 and we ask this question, we, can simply, we can't simply just take ourselves out of the equation. And also that we actually might not like the renovations or the alternatives we make to God's purpose and plans. They, they also show that in some ways we can end up diminishing or, um, or limiting God. We can end up diminishing or limiting God. And the truth is we can't limit God. Scripture says that his ways are higher than our ways. His truths, they're higher than our truths. We cannot fathom all of God and his ways, and that's why he is God. Scripture also says that the wisdom of man is it's like folly to God. There's, there's, there's a lot that we will know, but there's a lot that we also might not know. But, but what we do know from what we've gone through is that God is completely sovereign over all. We know that he didn't create evil but he does allow it. And I think when we look to the Bible, there there are two big reasons why God allows evil and suffering. And these are firstly that, that God would use evil and suffering to bring himself glory and that God has a higher good purpose for evil and suffering. And so God using evil to bring himself glory, simply put, God glorifies himself by bringing good out of evil. He glorifies himself by bringing good out of evil. And more specifically, I mean, God glorifies himself when when there's people that are affected by evil and sin and he's able to respond to people with compassion. He's able to draw close to them. I think of scriptures that show this in uh, in Matthew 5 that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or Psalm 147 that says, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Psalm 51, and, and, and this is the most honest confession of of personal sin in the Bible, and it ends with these words. It says, you will not despise this broken and crushed heart. And and my favorite, when when we're asking or thinking to ourselves, where is God? Isaiah 57, 15 has this answer. It says, I live on high in holiness and also with the crushed and the lowly, reviving the spirit of the lowly, reviving the heart of those who have been crushed. So we can see God 
made more glorious and how he comes alongside those who might be hurting. As the scriptures says, it's like those who are crushed. And what these scriptures tell us is that although God is sovereign and holy and seated in high places, he's not an absent God. He's not a king that's too busy for his people. He's a king that's also a loving father who desires to move towards our crushed and lowly souls. To do what? To revive our spirits and to revive our hearts. Also, God has a higher good purpose in suffering. He has a higher good purpose in suffering. We read this verse a couple of weeks ago. It's Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's this beautiful reality for us that in the midst of evil and suffering, for those that know Jesus, we can be confident that God is working in us and through us for our good and for his glory. And, and this verse should be a comfort and a warmth to our souls in times of hardship. It, like Tim Tucker said in his testimony last week, we were speaking about his, his uh, wife, uh, who, when he lost his wife and, and mother of three, this realization of, of God's sovereignty and his goodness allowed him to realize that God wasn't standing in opposition to him, but God was with him in the storm right beside him. And, and, and I've said this before, but this, this verse is not meant to be a disclaimer for theological purposes. That's not the purpose of it. It's an invitation to look to a sovereign God that knows, uh, that, uh, and we know that he is good and he is with us and he is for us. And nothing we go through will be wasted. It will all be used for our good and his glory. We can trust that God has a higher purpose. Whenever we're trying to work out our relationship with God's sovereignty and evil and suffering and his love, we need not look any further than the cross for the greatest clarity. The, the, the greatest evil that was ever committed was the murder of Jesus on the cross. Think about that. The greatest evil that was ever committed was the murder of Jesus on the cross. This is where he would endure the greatest suffering, all within the Father's plans and purposes. Because why? Because he loves us and because he is good. And where there was the crescendo of the greatest evil, there was also the crescendo of the greatest glory. And his plans and his purposes were fulfilled for our good. That is a beautiful truth. We can look to the cross we can know that there is a higher purpose, that God is good, that he is sovereign, and that he has overcome evil and death. Verse 15 from Genesis 3 says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And she'll bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Or like the NIV says, he shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. And, and Ian spoke about this last week, but what this verse is basically saying is that evil and sin will crescendo and take Christ to the cross, but Christ's death on the cross will deal with sin and evil once and for more. It will crush it. It will crush it. And why is this good news for us? 
Well, those of us that have experienced the other side of evil, those of us that have experienced injustice, that have gone through suffering, we can know that God knows what it is to endure great suffering. He's a God that stands beside us in suffering. He draws close. He comforts us. He guides us. He is not absent. And we can know that God is also a God of justice. That he's not a God that just winks at sin or overlooks sin or thinks he doesn't have to deal with it. And one day he will deal with every sin and all evil and conduct that has come to pass with his wrath and his judgment. His wrath and his judgment will come to pass on all of it. And so we also can rest in him who holds the cosmic gavel in his hand and, takes, and we can take our injustice to the God of higher truth and justice. And that should create something in us that wants to fight against injustices as well should create something in us that wants to fight injustices as well. But when we hear that, we might want to go back to what we spoke about when we all fall short of the glory of God. And there's also good news for all of us that fall short of the glory of God. For those of us that realize that we can't cut it, that we have this cosmic disease and sin, And the wages of the cosmic disease is death. Well, we can be thankful that God also dealt with sin and evil in another way, and that's what Christ did. He crushed sin and evil and dealt with it in the brutality of the cross. Christ came. He ripped that train back onto its tracks, absorbing God's wrath meant for you and me. You see, there wasn't another way, but Jesus made a way. By overcoming evil and offering to us grace. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whenever I think about this, I think of so those of you that know me, they know that I was an attorney for three years before I became a pastor. And I was dealing with a matter in Cape Town criminal court, so I had to go through there, and I was sitting in the court. And there was something that God showed me on that day that I want to share that helped me understand his grace or understand this verse a little bit more. But I was sitting there, and I saw the criminals, the, the cells are at the bottom, and what happens is that a whole lot of the accused would come up in hand uh, cuffs. They'd stand in what we call the dock And there'd be a defense attorney, magistrate, and a prosecutor, and there'd be some negotiations You'd be talking to the magistrate, and then they would plea, and there'd be a whole bunch of things that they'd need to do. But I could see the concern of those, uh, of those people stepping into that dock. And I thought to myself, if I was stepping into that dock, what it would be like? And I, tried, and I was thinking of this, and I thought, imagine stepping into that dock, handcuffs, orange jumper, and Christ being your defense attorney. And scripture tells us he's our advocate, so it fits. But he's, he's uh, our defense attorney. And he would talk to the magistrate, talk to the prosecutor. And he's trying to negotiate. And that's what you do when you're an attorney, trying to get a person off. You're trying to make sure that justice is served in this time. And what would happen is Jesus would come back and he would say, they found you guilty. They found you guilty. 
And you'll say, no, this can't be possible. And you say, it's just what it is. There's no way around this. There is no other way they've found you guilty. What does that mean? Well, it means capital punishment. Death by electric chair. What? This can't be. This can't be. There's nothing we can do. Jesus said, there's no other way. There's nothing we can do. He'd say, let me just go speak to them again. And Jesus would speak to them again. And he'd speak to the magistrate, speak to the prosecutor. And he'd come back. And he'd say, okay, there, there is one other way. There is one other way. And you'd say, oh, anything. And what he'd do is he'd step into the dock and he'd get in there and he'd take your handcuffs off and he'd take your orange jumper off and he'll give you his suit and he'll dress you up nice and neatly in his suit and he'll take that orange jumper and he'd put him on himself and he'd put the handcuffs on himself, and he'd let you out the dock, and he said, I'll take your place. I'll take your place. You can go. And there would be a scandalous grace at this moment, because you'd be like, what's the catch? What is it? What do I need to do? And he'd say, nothing. It's because I love you, and you're free to go. I'll take it. And they'd come, and they would take Jesus, and you'd walk out in your neat suit, out into the road, free, breathing in the fresh air. And then there would be this limousine that comes past and this guy would get out and he would open the door and you'd be like, what is going on? And he said, didn't, you, didn't Jesus just take your place? And you say, yeah. He said, well, you've just been adopted by his father and I'm taking you up to the palace on the hill, which is his house, because there is a great inheritance for you. There is a great inheritance for you. And while you're driving in that limousine, Jesus is being executed in the electric chair on your behalf. That's the understanding of grace. That is God overcoming evil. That is him crushing evil. That is the exchange that is available to us. And sometimes when we think about this, we can think of words on, uh, on a piece of paper. We can think of verses that we've heard before, but there is a scandalous, amazing grace available to us by Christ on the cross that he stepped into the dock. He stepped into the dock and he paid the price. When there wasn't a way, he made a way. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to pray. I'm going to bite the band up. Lord, we thank you for your scandalous grace, Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge that we fall short, we don't cut it, that we serve a holy, a righteous, and a good God, Lord. Oh, but we thank you for the beauty of your cross and what you've done, that you would take the brutality of the cross so that we could walk free, Lord, so that we could walk free. I thank you for this, Lord. I pray for those of us that might have experienced 
um, suffering recently. I pray for those of us that might be processing this, Lord, a lot more personally than just theologically. I pray that you would draw near to us, Jesus. I pray that you would comfort us. I pray that you would bind up our wounds, the brokenhearted, Lord. I pray that you would come and revive our spirits. Revive our hearts, Jesus. That's what we pray. I pray that you would draw close to us, Jesus. Oh, we praise you, King. You are ruling and reigning. And we thank you for your scandalous grace, Jesus. Amen.
another amazing rich evening so good to be with you in the venue so good to be with you who have been at home Garth you served us so well thank you dealing with a very difficult topic and I think there are kind of two responses for us as Christ followers and you might have to do both of them um, or you might have one of them and the first one is um, you might be carrying the sense of injustice of evil done against you or the pain of evil done against you And there's an invitation to not carry the burden of the injustice of that, but to take it to Jesus. Say, I trust you with this. This thing is close to me. It's hurt me. It scares me. But I trust you with this injustice. And I trust that you will deal with it fully and completely, either at the cross or when you wrap up history. And you get to free yourself from carrying the burden of having to bring the justice. Not that we don't fight for justice, but you don't have to carry the full weight and responsibility of that. You get to take it to Jesus. Whether that's personal injustice or the injustice you follow by the people. I really feel God wants to free some people from a burden of carrying a sense of injustice that's not yours to carry and liberate you to the freedom of trusting Jesus with it. That's the first response. And then the second response for those of us who are Christ followers, I get a sense that there are people in the room, uh, people at home, where you're not living in the fullness of the grace that, that God spoke about. You're still trying to earn your way. You're still standing in the dark. You're wrestling with Jesus. You're not letting Him put the suit on you. You're not letting Him take your handcuffs. He is the only one worthy. And He has chosen to do it. And in, our, in, in His joy, He says, take the gift of my free grace. Take it fully and completely. He wants His sons and daughters to walk in a sense of freedom and forgiveness. Do you feel forgiven? Do you, is shame a thing of the past in your life? Is guilt something that you know how to deal with? To take it in repentance to Jesus. And in that moment, do you feel forgiven? Do you live in the fullness of grace on offer to you? And do you enjoy the free presence of your Father and His, His Spirit in your life? That's you. I, I want to do business with you, um, but we'll have some people at the front. If you're here in the venue and if you're at home, you can always contact a pastor or just do business with Jesus or do business with people who are around you and go, I want to feel the fullness of God's forgiveness in my life. I want to walk in the fullness of the freedom that He offers me from my guilt and my shame. And then thirdly, if you're not in Christ, that, that's an offer for the first time. That's an offer to you tonight to, to step into a relationship with the living God, not based on who you are and what you've done, but on who He is and what He's done. And if that's you, we want to invite you into that space. And it's a simple prayer between you and God. It's just doing business with Him. God, I know I fall short, but I need you and you've done what needs to be done. Take me on a journey of getting to know you. It is that simple. 
towards you in, in relationship with Him. And we want to help you. So we've got this 31-day journey into the Bible that helps make sense of God and what that journey could look like and how that journey starts and how it continues. If you're in the venue, you can grab one of these free of charge that I give to you. If you're at home, you can click on the link and download it. What a rich and wonderful evening. It's so, been so good to be together, so good to trust God and encounter the living God in community. And um, I really do hope you would respond and, and do business with God over the coming evening and the rest of the week in, in light of what God shared with us tonight. Amazing. Go well. We'll see you next week.